Hello and welcome back to another edition of The Alonzo Bet. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. And we are coming to you with one of the very first episodes of this new 2021 baseball season. We kind of missed you guys last week because Sam and I both have a lot of things going on right now. Sam's got a lot of things going on right now. But we are back and we are uh, here to give you a rundown of what's happened in the first 10-ish days of baseball. Kind of bring you all the crazy stories that we've had so far. Sam, it's been a great 10 games to start the first real season we've seen in almost two years. Yeah, it's been 10 games for a lot of teams. It's been a bit a bit fewer for the Mets, who uh, finally got some baseball games in today. They're in the fifth inning of a, of a doubleheader. Hopefully they end up sweeping it. It's been a it, – like, it's so good to have baseball back. It's just crazy how much happens every day, and there are already so many storylines to talk about. You know, we warned you guys – Every time we talk about baseball, it's a long season. It's 162 games. Don't try to make any big statements based on a 7, 10-game sample size. But that's exactly what we're going to do today here for you guys, folks. We're going to give you our early season reactions, how we're reacting to some of the surprising storylines at the start of the season. There's been controversy. There have been breakout stars. There have been some slumps. And we're going to get into all of it. And... Even better, I know our listeners have been saying we need the live calls again. We need the live calls again, just like we had last season. Well, guess what, folks? We I got the quad box up. Sam's got the Mets game on. I don't know how because we're blacked out here on MLB.tv, but Sam's got the Mets game on. And we're just going to be, if something interesting happens, you will know about it. Um, whenever we post this, whenever we post this recording, so and so on that on that note, my man Marcus Stroman just absolutely hyped as he gets out of a little bit of a jam, keeps it three zero going to the bottom of the fifth. Let's go! Is it a seven inning doubleheader? It is. It is. It is. So that's what we're working with in the Mets game. We'll keep you updated. But Sam, I want to get into what happened this week, and I think there's two really big headlines um, that kind of everybody in baseball has been talking about. And it's only, you know, 10 games. So we're a little starved for storylines at this point, not a lot of time for them to mature, but we had two really crazy plays one in like the fourth day of the season, but the Mets first game, and that's Michael Conforto's walk off HBP or hit by pitch. For those of you not savvy to the acronyms. And we have Alec Bohm, Sliding into home plate question mark. and uh, New York Chelsea, as they call on the broadcast, which is just terrible. Um, New York had an interesting take on it and it's got a lot of people up in arms. So I want to get to those two plays just so that we can kind of be with the current events of the game since these are the two big stories. And Sam, since Michael Conforto is a Met and it brought your Amazons their first win of the season, I'll let you give your take on the Michael Conforto walk-off HBP in the Mets opening day game. Slight, slight correction. It was their home opener. Home opener. Not, not I'm their sorry. opening day. But it I'm was a, a big, big win for them. For a guy in Conforto who was slumping pretty hard and is still slumping pretty hard, I'm not worried about him. He's, he's, he's a great hitter. But it's been a tough start to the season, no doubt, for, for Michael. Uh, so basically what happened is that uh, Mets had bases loaded, one out, uh, tie game in the bottom of the ninth against the Marlins, and Conforto's in a one-two count, looking to walk it off, 
and uh, I forget who is actually pitching for the Marlins, but they throw a little cutter slider up and into Conforto. Conforto's elbow glances out over the plate, and it just the ball just nicks his elbow guard. The umpire starts to call a strike, and then Conforto points out that he's hit, sends Conforto to first, and that's the ball game. It's the bases loaded, so the Mets walk it off. Now, the Marlins, Don Mattingly, are up in arms because that ball is a strike. If a ball is a strike, even if the batter gets hit, it's meant to be called a strike. That is the rules. Another part of the rules is that... And it wasn't just that it was a strike, Sam. The home umpire, before calling the HBP, the home plate umpire went to ring him up. He got back, he put his arms up like he was about to K him, and then he had the change of mind, pointed to the elbow, and uh, delivered the Mets the W. So it it was definitely a strike. Exactly. Now, I think the issue here is that it is a reviewable play whether or not a batter is hit. It is not a reviewable play whether or not a ball was a strike. Mm-hmm. So because of that, since the umpire made... Or if the, he leaned into it, which is or, also against yeah. the rules. So, so, that's a, so, so there, there are two elements here. One is that Conforto did kind of lean into the pitch, and if you make the rules claim, if you make no effort to get out of the way, then that's also uh, should not be ruled a hit by pitch. Um so they couldn't review it because the ball did hit Conforto. That wasn't up for debate. The, the debate was whether or not it, he should have been awarded first play, base, and that's not a reviewable play. Now, if I was, you know, people were very up in arms about this, and, and understandably so. It's a, it's a shitty way to lose the game if you're the Marlins. Anthony Bass, by the way, pitcher Anthony on the Bass, hill for the Anthony Marlins. Anthony Bass. Um, I have a couple takes on it. First of all, the Mets still had big PD coming up next, so they're going to win that game regardless. The second point I want to make is that I think the real egregious missed call here was that the ball was actually a strike because a lot of people like to say, you know, oh, he stuck his elbow out and got hit. Yeah, that is technically disallowed. But every single baseball player does that. So for people to get all up in arms as if Conforto is like cheating or something, like that is something that literally every baseball player does. And the way the game is called, they are rewarded for it. Yeah, that, that's definitely the wrong take here. Go back and watch yeah. Kevin Biggio get hit by 280 pitches over his career. So Craig Biggio. Craig Biggio, sorry. <laughs> There are a lot in that collection where not only did he not make an effort to remove himself from the situation, he definitely turns in, into a pitch and gets hit in the back. Like, that's an age-old move. That, don't get mad about that. Umpires don't call that right, ever. The strike is the problem. Yeah. Because that's just a rule. And he just didn't know the baseball rule. Who Petey just smoked one. And uh, and the O's just walked off, actually. The Baltimore Orioles getting the best of Seattle in the second of a seven-inning doubleheader with the seventh-inning walk-off. Uh, it was Swaddler on the hill and some guy that, of course, I don't know at the plate, but good for them. Um, and, yeah, Sam, to me, like, I hate replay. You know that. Yeah. I just hate it because I, I there's – Baseball, if you want to fix the pace problem in baseball, Rob Manfred, the worst person and the worst commissioner on the planet, like don't put in something that is the single biggest barrier to pace in the sport. 
Nothing in the sport at this point is a bigger barrier to smooth pace of play than replay. But, that's, but let me, that's number one. Let, let me ask you a question in response to that, Aaron. Does it not feel good, though, when an umpire just clearly blows a call, say, at first, and it's corrected? Not really. So I agree on a, like, on a principled level that like it should be corrected. I'm not really opposed to that. Um, but my thing with Manfred and all the changes, and this is a little off topic, but now we're here, so I got to tell you. Like, I hate what he does. I don't like the three batter minimum. I don't like the restrictions on mound visits. And I don't like replay. And so for them to be logically inconsistent with one another is extremely frustrating. I'm okay with all of them. Like, I'm not going to, you know, it's not going to end my fandom of the game in any way. But none of them are making the game better, I think. Maybe mound visits, which, like, I I understand in a game. But, like, in reality, I haven't noticed. So you can't really complain about that. But the replay... The replay with the other pace of play changes makes no sense, and it's not done correctly. I think that's the key here, and that was why I started on this tirade, is because I understand you have to have reviewable and non-reviewable plays, but if if an umpire gets a rule wrong, that has to be reviewable. That's, in my opinion, more egregious than missing a bang-bang play that in slow motion is very clear. So... If you're going to do replay, again, fine. But try to implement these things in a, in a way that works and is even close to logically consistent with what you're trying to oh do. Jeff McNeil is the luckiest, unluckiest. Unluckiest. All he does is rip baseballs, and all he does is fly out to the warning track. Bryce Harper just made a diving catch on him. Yeah, there you go. And at this point, he's just laughing and going back to the dugout because he's been this unlucky since last season. Yeah. Okay, so Sam, that kind of brings us through to the other play, though, as we get into this discussion of replay. And I think just to wrap that Conforto play up, at the end of the day, like, it's not a huge deal. The Mets likely win that game anyway, I think. Um, But it's really frustrating to see an umpire not know the rules of the game. Um, Here's a situation in Philadelphia with a young third baseman and member of my 2021 future championship fantasy baseball team, Alec Bohm, was sliding into home plate on Sunday night baseball in a tied game in what I believe was the uh, bottom of the seventh or bottom of the eighth late in the game. I think it was uh, the top of the ninth. Oh, top of the ninth. Okay. Uh, It wasn't a walk-off, that's for sure. But it was a tie game very late in the game. Um, A short sack fly uh, to Martel Ozuna. They're playing the Braves. And this is a great game, by the way. Ronald Acuna hits a bomb. This was just an absolute masterpiece for ESPN to have as the first Sunday night baseball game of the season. Um, Well, I guess there was one last week. But second baseball, Sunday night baseball game of the season. Just a great, great game all around. Decent pitching, really good hitting, two good teams playing very, pretty well. Um, and then top of the ninth, pop up, one out, Alec Bohm on third base, tags up. It's a bang-bang play at the plate. You can't really see if he's safe or not. The call on the field is safe. They send it back to New York. 
And I'll take this opportunity again to say, stop calling it Chelsea on the broadcast. It's just pretentious Chelsea. (laughs) And they send it back to the booth. The booth takes a look at all the angles, apparently, and says, yeah, we can't find enough concrete evidence to overchange the ruling on the field. However, and if you didn't watch it yourself, I urge you to go watch it. There's simply no universe where Alec Bohm touched home plate. Yeah, you kind of have to watch it to fully understand because to paint the full picture of the situation, there is not a single camera angle that indicates whether or not he touched home plate. It looks like he beats the ball. So let's just say that he beats the ball, even though it was fairly close. There is no single camera angle that that shows he touched home plate. But there's also no single camera angle that shows he didn't touch home plate. You have to combine all of the camera angles available to be certain and run them side by side to be certain that he didn't touch home plate. But MLB replay better be able to do that, right? Like if you can't run all the camera angles you have side by side at the same time, something so simple that I saw John Boy do it on Twitter today. And let me tell you, if John Boy can do something, (laughs) you can do it, MLB. I promise you, you can do it. Um, That's the only way to see it. So if if they don't have that, I can understand how they made the call. But if they don't have that, they should all be fired, starting with Rob Manfred. Do you know who was uh, in charge of replay that that night in Chelsea? Probably Joe West. That's right. Was it actually? (laughs) Yeah. So even when he's not on the goddamn field, you're telling me that Joe West is still blowing calls? I didn't know that this was possible. Yeah, he's amazing. He's truly a a Michelangelo of being a bad umpire. Nobody's ever been a bad umpire like Joe West, I feel like. Well, I know. I mean, a lot of people have been bad umpires. No, but he's made an art of it. It's not just blown calls. It's blown calls with unlimited bravado. Just so certain of himself that he's made the correct call, and he's going to tell you as the manager to go French yourself. And now he's taking it with technology. I love this. Gorgeous. There, there's an interesting dynamic to this play from a baseball strategy perspective. Let's take out the fact that uh, that there was a blown call. The Phillies decided to challenge Marcelo Zuna's noodle of an arm on a very, <laughs> very, very shallow fly ball. It was so shallow. But if like, there's a real left fielder, they never, ever run. But, like, it was incredibly, incredibly disrespectful to Marcelo Zuna that Alec Bohm got sent home on this play, and it worked out for them. So we'll see if that's a sort of a continuing trend as the season goes on that Marcelo Zuna is severely disrespected as a left fielder. Oh, I mean, it will be most likely, Sam. But at the same time, like, you'll still net the offense and he's going to come out positive. It's just hurting his value, no question. And talking about tag-ups and games that involve the Braves, um, we did see Ronald Acuna Jr. tag up from third last night on a fly ball to literally the shortstop. Like, just took off for home. And as every single MLB commentator and personality will tell you his sprint speed was above 30 mile or 30 feet per second which is elite yeah that's elite folks if you guys if don't know 20, if it's 20, if it's 29.9 <laughs> you're not elite you're not that fast but once you hit 30.0 that is a threshold 
it, it's actually a physical law of thresholds That's that right. makes you into an elite fast runner. It's a very, it's a very important number. It's a very important number. And uh, so if you see it on Twitter between 10 and 10,000 times throughout the course of this season, just remember how truly important it is. Um, but yeah, Sam, that's actually a good call with Ozuna because the defense is weak. Um, although if you look around, like, oh, I guess they're not really playing Dom and left, are they? The Mets? The, no, they are. I mean, Dom and left, it is, it's not like a, a huge upgrade over Marcelo Ozuna. And whatever the Phillies are rolling out there on a day-to-day basis right now is working. Um, I don't really know what that outfield outside of Bryce Harper and McCutcheon is, but they keep just playing like they're an orf or something. They've been playing um, Adam Hazley in center a bit, and that's been an adventure. I've seen him make two quite terrible plays against the Mets. Yeah, I don't think he really belongs there. I think they're hurting not having Kingery a bit to play center, but he... And Kingery and AZ Boy, as you know, um, they, they they've had they've had Roman Quinn play some center as well. That's not and, terrible. And he's he's good defensively. The problem yeah. is he gives you absolutely nothing at the plate. He's hit an eight hole with the with the classic Mendoza batting average. But Sam, as we kind of like trickle into the Phillies here after those two plays, and by the way, guys, if you saw those plays and you are totally disagreeing with our uh, you know one hundred percent correct takes here, you know where to find us. At the Alonzo Bet on Twitter, the at gmail.com. We are here and we will listen to what you have to say, but it doesn't make you right. Don't forget it. And with that, let's talk about these fighting Phils who actually lead the NL East, but just, just give given a rundown here. So the Phils lead the NL East as Wilson Contreras takes one deep out of Miller Park to make it three to two, top of the eight cubbies. Cubs, a team who absolutely have not and cannot score runs this season. We will get to them. But the Phillies are leading the NL East at six and four. The Mets are down there at three and three in second place. So I, right I, now, I will note, though, that the Mets are currently beating the Phillies three nothing in the top of the sixth in a seven inning game. So that could. And uh, the next team I'm talking about, the Braves, just gave up a three run ding dong to Adam Duvall to make it 14 to six. To that surging Marlin squad. So that's how the NL East looks is it's Phillies, Mets, Braves, Marlins, Nats. The central is the Reds who are off to a blazing hot start, Sam, at seven and three. The Brewers, Cardinals, Cubs, and Pirates, a lot more wins in the NL Central than there are in the NL East right now. And I think we all expect that to remain the case. In the <laughs> NL West, the Dodgers, Padres, Giants, D-backs, Rockies are how they sit currently. Top three teams are above 500. Um, and then in the American League, we have the Red Sox, Yankees, Rays, Orioles, Jays in the East with the Red Sox off to the unexpected. Seven, seven wins in a row for the Red Sox after I think everyone was predicting a terrible, terrible demise when they were swept by the Orioles in the opening series. Yeah, it didn't look good, but they came back for their vengeance in the last series. Um, and the Orioles, again, sitting at fourth place in that division right now at four and six. The Central has the Indians, Royals, Twins, those White Sox, and Tigers, but no team has more than five wins and no team has less than four. So that division uh, is, I think, shaping up to just be an absolute slugfest of mediocrity, although we expect to see some 
some uh, breakaways there from the top three teams. I, I think the Red Sox and tw- sorry, I think the White Sox and Twins are still eventually going to pull away in that division. Great oh, definitely. And we're going to see we're we're going to see more good baseball from the Indians. Obviously, my Aaron Savale uh, pick was spot on. He's looking really good. Um, and the AL West, the happiest story in baseball right now. The Angels at seven and three lead the division over the Astros and Mariners, who are both at six and four. The A's at five and seven, picking up a fluky crap win in Zach Gallant's first start today. Absolute trash after getting closed by the Snakes last night. And then the Rangers rounding it out at three and seven in the AL West. So there's a lot going on here. We just told you, Sam. What's speaking to you? You know, what what sparks joy in you so far this season? You know, I'm just really happy to see the Angels performing as well as they are. Uh, oh. I mean, we've got Mike Trout as good as ever. He's walking 25% of his plague appearances. Already got four bombs, 394 average, 545 on base percentage, 848 slugging. Is he human? 265 WRC plus already with a win above replacement in 10 games, 1.1 and a four-way tie for first on fan graphs. And here's the thing. Like it doesn't even, doesn't even feel like he's playing above his head. Like I'm not even like, Oh, he's going to come back down to earth. I'm just like, no, this is who he is. No, this is how he plays. And he actually said the other day that uh, he thinks he's pretty close to finding his sway. <laughs> That's so uh, where is it now, Mike? <laughs> you know, your uh, WRC plus is pushing 300. What's going on? Of course, it is just like such a treat to have Shohei Otani healthy, just scalding the ball. Hit a 119-mile-per-hour double the other day. He's got three bombs, 200 WRC+. plus. Just putting on the show, batting-wise, just missed out on an elite sprint speed, beating out an uh, infield single. Uh, I think it was today or yesterday. 29.5, close, close to elite, guys. He'll have um, to he'll have to wait for that honor. Yeah. He might hit it one day if he keeps working hard. Uh, throwing a hundred. I mean, this guy is he's not human, and it's just people forgot how fucking incredible he is when he stopped pitching with Tommy John. It's just absurd. It's so good, and his his underlying metrics pitching so far they haven't been great, but like just the fact that he's pitching at like far above serviceable level and the like, stuff and the stuff looks so good like i'm not worried about him as a pitcher no the stuff is disgusting the stuff is unhittable um he's absolutely ripping the ball and this is why we told you guys go and get him as uh the mvp bet at 33 to 1 because that was beauty incarnate look Joe Madden is using him liberally, but also conservatively. I love the way that Joe Madden is using him. He's letting him play pretty much every day. Like I think he's played six or seven of 10 games so far. And he is being a little bit slow with the pitch progression, which I think is necessary to keep him healthy throughout the season. So I think he'll work up so that he's available as a pitcher in the playoffs. I think that's huge for them if they can pitch and hit him in the playoffs. And I think they'll work him up like that and allow him to pitch more as the season goes on. But so far, just, oh my God, it's been great. And let me tell you, Jared Walsh, my pick for AL Rookie of the Year. Looking great. Looking very good. 
And I got to say, he makes their lineup. Rendon hits the 10-day IL today, so that's a bit of a bummer. But with Walsh and Rendon in there, Justin Upton looking like not great, you know, but serviceable, exactly what I told you to expect out of him as well. I had this team pegged, but still picked him fourth in the division for some reason. <laughs> um, and their lineup looks really good. Now, the question is, uh, who is Alex Cobb again? And you said you were excited for him, and all I did was crap on you. This guy's shoving. <laughs> I'm keeping him on my fantasy team right now because he's striking out eight. No, you, he's striking out you, over nine per nine right now. You, you should not be allowed to have Alex Cobb on your fantasy team after the shit you gave me for. Who is the guy? He's a, is he the guy that we've seen in like six game stretches in his past, and he just gets to notoriously a place that fosters tremendous pitching in Los Angeles, Angels of Anaheim. And just becomes an absolute monster. I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, sure, ZRA is still four six three. So, but his his xFIP's one seven six. XFIP is one seven six, which is pretty crazy. He's already amassed about half a war. So, uh, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sold on the idea that I was right about Alex Cobb. Maybe he's about to have a big season. And Bundy's looked good so far. Like yeah, Bundy's it, been serviceable. It, it looks like their pitching staff's going to hold up, and if that lineup can keep mashing, I don't see any reason why they can't stay in contention in the AL West all season. I'm who knows if they end up in the playoffs. I mean, they still have some holes. I still think the Astros are For better, sure. but For sure. it's as good of a start as you could ask. Yeah, and Sam, another team that we kind of alluded to who's off to a hot start but is super interesting is the Red Sox. And this start has been 100% fueled by the bats. They are absolutely slugging right now. Um, and and I, I, feel like, I feel like that's what we talked about when we were doing the preview for the Red Sox, which is just like this lineup still has some really good hitters in it and – if they could all have good seasons, like there's no reason why this team couldn't be somewhat competitive, which, you know, makes it all the crazier that they're totally uninteresting in having Mookie Betts be part of the equation. But exactly. And right now they are fourth in the league in uh, team WRC plus. And to be honest, the pitching has been okay. They're uh, fourth in the league in team FIP as well. And I think that the question for them if they're going to hold on, because maybe the bigger reaction here is to the Yankees and the Blue Jays, who, sure, we're early in the season, but this is the, it's way too early to freak out about things, but we're going to freak out about things segment. So I'm going to freak out about the Yankees and the Jays, who have both shown that they have significant holes. The Yankees starting pitching as a whole is a hole. And the Blue Jays, lineup may not quite be as strong as we thought those young hitters are core to the lineup even when springer comes back and simeon's been playing great but where's everybody else no but i think we're, we're slowly witnessing a vladdy breakout it's possible he's definitely shown signs but... the ball in the air a bit more i i like what i'm seeing out of vladdy and you know who else i like what i'm seeing out of is steven matz i told you don't give up on this guy Steven Matz is he has some of the best stuff of left-handed starters in the game. Does that mean the Mets should have kept him? No, I think it was time to move on. Last year was such a disaster. But the thing with Matz last year, 
is the stuff looked better than it ever had before in terms of velocity, had a higher uh, swinging strike rate than he ever had before. The contact just looked really bad, gave up a lot of home runs. But yeah, okay, it's only two starts, but what do we got? We have a 1-4-6 ERA, 2-8-3 expected ERA, 3-3-1 FIP, 3-2-5 XFIP, striking out nine and a half batters. But we're keeping the ball on the ground, 55% ground ball rate. If Steven Matz can be a, a solid pitcher for them, that's a huge piece of the equation. And actually, can I shout something out real quick? Which is that for all of you who are interested in baseball analytics, are on fan graphs all the time, but now you want to see the stat cast data, the expected ERA, the expected WOBA, and you had to switch back and forth between fan graphs and baseball savant when you're looking at players. Fangraphs just made your life a whole lot easier because they added expected ERA and expected WOBA to player pages. Now, that doesn't mean don't go on Baseball Savant anymore. Still a ton of great visualization, a ton of great data and tools for you to find there. But when you're just trying to get that snapshot of what a player season has been like, Fangraphs just made it a whole lot easier for you guys. Absolutely true. And I think that that's a wonderfully useful public service announcement you just gave. Sam, Trust me, I will be keeping my eye on Steven Matz this season. I have a Twitter thread to begin as soon as the precipitous decline starts. Um, and no disrespect to Matz, who like definitely has good stuff. But let's not get too hyped too soon. You could say the same about me, though. I probably shouldn't freak out about the Yankees and the Jays, two of the best rosters in all of baseball over 10 games. And that's totally fair. But I'm seeing holes, and I'm going to freak out. Let's talk about the National League, Sam. There a team that kind of shouting out to you? Anything exciting that's not named Mets? Yeah, so I think the Reds have sort of made the initial statement in the National League Central. And we talked about how this National League Central is not a good division and how it's going to be a toss-up, four teams that could win it. And the Reds are the ones coming out and performing early. They're seven and three. Uh, Nicholas Castellanos has looked incredibly good. Credit to you, who's always been a Castellanos uh, believer. Uh, that 100-1 to 1 MVP bet not looking terrible now, is it? Yeah. Tyler Naquin's looked good. Uh, Tyler Naquin. God, this guy. What's going on here? He yeah. needed an outfielder for so long, he leaves. He played good defense there. He leaves. He stopped playing defense. He starts ripping the ball. Who is this guy? But one thing I want to note is that, yes, it's early in the season. I don't think you should be making big proclamations on like this, this batter is good, this player is good or bad based on the early results. This team's good or bad based on the early results. That doesn't mean that these wins don't count. Yep. These wins still count. And if you can build up these wins early on, get yourself a little edge that changes the equation, especially in a division like the National League Central where a win or two could swing things because these teams are so bunched together. Getting these early wins changes the equation in the division for the Reds, and they're a team that's seen their playoff odds on fan graphs almost double from the start of the season. They were at 22% to start the season. They're now at 43%. So we're literally talking about a doubling in playoff odds just from this early early hot streak. Now, does that mean that the Reds are going to make the playoffs? No, they're still less than the coin flip. That still doesn't mean they're going to make it. But it really changes the picture, going from one and five to about half. And Brandon Nimmo, the best 
hitter in baseball with another RBI 4-0. I mean, the guy's got like a 600 OBP. Yeah, I mean, honestly, he was a great. He was my last pick of the draft, and he was a really good pick. Like he has been a very good fantasy player so far. Um, Sam, I, I I think that's such a great point, and I'm so glad you brought it up. Yes, we are tongue in cheek making proclamations at this moment, but the truth is there are things to be learned here, and more importantly, for the end results of the season, which is making the playoffs. There are games that are already set in stone. You can't go back and change this. You can't say, oh, well, this will, ch- this will get better. You know, this will improve. No. These 10 games, or however many you've played so far, depending on your team, they're in the books. They're done. And the Reds being spotted at least a win on every team in their division, you know, as many as three wins on the Cubs. Like, if you spot them that at the beginning of the season, it changes the odds, too. Now you're spotting, a, spotting them with it with fewer games to make it up. So um, that's huge. But I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about maybe the biggest story in the National League that we somehow fumbled at the beginning of the episode. And that's that Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah. After just a couple games this season, had to hit the IL after being struck in the wrist with a pitch from who I believe is Kyle Crick of the Pirates. I'm about 75% sure of that. And the Padres are still eight and three. They still look really good. They still look deep. Jake Cronenworth is good. Jerks and Profar may hit again this season the way they use him. Joe Musgrove is good. Another thing we forgot to talk about is Joe Musgrove just broke the longest no-hitter drought in franchise in team in any team's history. The Mets were the longest, and the, the Padres had gotten like 100 games longer. Joe Musgrove with an absolute gem to break that Padres no-hitter drought. They'd never had a no-hitter in their franchise history. Nine innings, 10 strikeouts. I don't think he had a walk, right? Just a hit-by-pitch. Very close to a perfect game. Yeah. 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 I mean, congratulations to Joe Musgrove. Truly an amazing pitching performance. No doubt about that. Uh, Who are you, though? You know, who's Alex Cobb? Who are you? You know, Joe Musgrove has been serviceable. We've talked about his value on this show before many times. Like, he definitely has value. He's a good pitcher. But these first two games, he's been, like, lights out with Ks. Sometimes he's lights out. Sometimes he's high Ks. But very rarely is he both. Um, And and he's kept the ball on the ground, which which is important. Huge for him. Has he taken the next step? We're gonna have to see, but Oh boy, if he has, I mean, these Padres continue to just deal. All the pitchers have looked good. You hasn't looked like last season, but he's been still very good. Blake Snell, they're using correctly, aka not letting him see the lineup three times as much as possible. It was and, and he actually didn't see the lineup twice today. He was out in the first inning against the Pirates. Yeah, it's a seven-four game right now uh, in the bottom of the eighth. Um, and, you know, I think we know Blake Snell's prone to blow-ups like that, but some it's just the way some pitchers are. Like, he's prone to going, you know, 15 innings, letting up one run, and then in three innings, he'll let up six, something like that. But, yeah, they look really good. Um, and Tatis Jr., we don't know how long until he's back, but he was in uniform today doing some stretching. Could and be shorter than we expected. The, the, the word on him is that he has, at least for now, avoided needing to get surgery, which is uh... – which is very good to hear after 
the Padres invested a whole lot of money in him. You always worry, though, Sam, with hitters. Hand and wrist injuries are the single most dangerous thing you can have, and that's his lead wrist. That's the bat. You know, that's the one that's snapping through the zone. Um, I thought it was. I, a sh- I thought it was a shoulder thing that he dislocated his shoulder. Oh, on the Maybe swing. Slow- yeah. On the swing, geez, I'm talking about that Kyle Crick HBP, which I think is maybe from last year now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The injury is on a swing, and it is his shoulder, um, which is also bad. Anything arms is bad, but it's not nearly as bad as wrists and hands. So hopefully he can come back and be fine. I mean, on the one hand, you got to trust the guy because he's a professional athlete, and he's one of the best. But on the other hand, you worry that a young guy like that who is one of the best and starting to feel, you know, maybe some uh, pressure or some uh, impetus to go out and perform and kind of prove that he's out there with the Acunas and the Trouts and the people making waves right now. You wonder if he pushes back when he's not feeling 100% and maybe it hurts him. Uh, it's just something to keep an eye on. I hope it's not the case. But if you're the Padres, this is why you go out and you sign a Ha Seung Kim in the offseason. It's yep. it's you at good teams now. Maybe the biggest competitive advantage you could have is have the depth such that if your stars get injured, you can hold the fort until they come back. And maybe that means you have some really good players ragging the pine. But, you know, that's that's what you need to do. And that's something the Dodgers have done so well over the past few seasons. Absolutely. And I don't know if the third shortstop was strictly necessary, Sam. Typically. And for far. Yeah. It's the fourth shortstop if you count Tatis. So I don't know if that was strictly necessary, and I still question the positional value of it. Although now, you know, now that they know they need extra middle infield depth, it's nice to have. They're set, though. I mean, just having guys like Cronenworth, Kim, and Jerks, and Profar who can play – somewhere between two and five positions each, Profar can legitimately play five positions on the diamond. No, Profar can play everything except catcher and has played every position besides maybe center field and catcher. Like, it's just insanely valuable because teams are mixing and matching like never before. Um, And yeah, I mean, Padres Padres look good. Padres are interesting. Um, you know, beginning of the season has been a bit of a fluke for the D-backs at the bottom of that division, but I think we all kind of expect the yeah, same thing. Though. I mean, we know we'll see them with 108 wins and the division title by the end. It's just a matter. Yeah, I mean, let's be realistic. 98-99 wins, I think. But um, they just got Zach Allen back, so those extra few definitely could be there. Um, just so much intrigue, so much baseball so far that has been amazing. Is there anything that you are seriously taking away from this first sample of games, Sam? So, so we've talked, we've talked about teams and I think, I think it's a little too early to take anything away from a team, but I, I do think that it's maybe not too early to at least not like not take something away from this small sample, but maybe take something away in terms of people building on what we weren't sure about last season. And one guy that I'm really, really impressed by, and it really feels like we're watching the emergence of a new ace in this game is Corbin Burns. Great call. Corbin, great call. Corbin Burns uh, has two starts, 12 innings, striking out 14 and a half baggers per nine, has not walked a batter, uh, 0.73 ERA, 
1.17 expected ERA, 1.44 FIP, 1.39 XFIP. He's maybe been the most dominant pitcher in the innings that he's pitched in baseball. He throws this 96 mile per hour cutter that simply looks unhittable. Unhittable. You can't, how are you supposed to hit it? It's got like five to six inches of lateral break. And it's, you know, at this speed, it's the late break, it's sharp break. It's just, it's incredible. And it's, you know, he's one of those guys where it's like the stats and the eyes are really lining up. Like if you wanted to, if you had voted for Corbin Burns as the National League Cy Young last year, you would not have been crazy. There's an argument that you might've been right. Yeah. There's an argument that he was the best pitcher in the National League last year. And it only looks like he's gotten better in uh, in these two starts this season. So Corbin Burns and, and you uh, you put him as a as a dark horse in the Cy Young race uh, in our in our early episode. I was actually looking back at my DraftKings bets and was delighted to see that I actually had bet a couple dollars on him to win the Cy Young at forty to one. I forgot that I'd done that. Yeah, as did I. Because look. I just don't understand why he was that dark of a horse when last season you said it, Sam. Voting for him for MVP was definitely not a wrong for choice. Cy Young, for Cy Young. For Cy Young, I'm sorry. It was definitely not a wrong choice. It might not have been a right choice. It's hard to say. But it definitely wasn't a wrong choice. And now he's, you know, I think I got him at 35 or something. But 35 to 1 to win the Cy Young, it's kind of insane. So um, that's a great call. I think he's been amazing. The only thing about him at 35 to 1 is like, how can anyone be anything to one when it looks like Jacob deGrom's just getting better? Of course, of course. And but he also might not win a game this season. So, so we'll- that's also true. Um, and Jacob deGrom, I heard some, I think I heard Sarah Lang say today, she wouldn't be surprised if she saw Jacob deGrom throw 104 one year. Because somehow every year he gets older, he's now what, 35 years old, 33, 33. 32, going to be 33 this season. And he added another tick and a half this year, didn't he? He hit 102 in his opening day start. 102. When he came into the league, he was hitting 97. Yeah, I mean, he was averaging in 2016. His fastball, I believe, averaged 93.9, 94. And now what's he at? Like 96? 99. He's averaging 99? Yeah. That's That's insane. Yeah. It, That's just truly unbelievable. He and he's just been dominant. Like he just locates every single pitch basically. Um when he doesn't have one, he has another. Fangraph still only has him as a three-pitch pitcher this season, but that's just not true. Well, I he's mean, he's throwing that curveball. He hasn't thrown the curveball yet this season, and actually in his first start, he didn't throw his changeup, which is maybe the best changeup in baseball outside of Devin Williams. Well, if that's not a changeup, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is like that's the thing with DeGrom is, and Jeremy Hefner, the Mets pitching coach said this, it was basically like, okay, like he maybe has the best fastball in baseball. He maybe has the best slider in baseball and he maybe has the best changeup in baseball. And his curveball is really fucking good. But like, how do you throw it when you have those other three pitches? Right, right. So it's just like, and he can locate all of those pitches to whatever spot he wants in any given count. He's, he's been very good. And I expect honestly, just more of the same from him this season. He's striking out 13 and a half guys per nine walking 1.3. Like, give me a break. The guy's absolutely dominant. 
Um, on the hitter's side, Sam, uh, the guy who I love to see perform well, and of course, the question never was, can he perform, but for how long? So it remains to be seen. But let's look at the positive here. Byron Buxton, absolutely tearing it up, sitting towards the top of the home run leaderboard. And by the top, I mean tied for the top of the home run leaderboard. Of course, that comes with the natural caveat that two of the three guys tied with him are Tyler Naquin and Ryan McMahon. So things happen early in the season that are not representative of the full season. But Buxton, unlike those two guys, we know just has unbelievable talent and incredible upside. And there's one difference for me this season so far, Sam, that if he keeps up and stays on the field, I have no doubt he will be a top 10 player in the bigs by war by the end of the season. I think I know what you're going to say. Go ahead and tell me. Is it the K rate? It's the K rate. Sam, if this guy can strike out less than 20% of the time, oh my God, he's going to absolutely tear. He's already a 1.1 war because he's, good defensively and he's just ripping the cover off of the ball right now if he can keep his k and sure his babbitt is 471 i mean yeah what I does babbitt mean in 10 games he's like not that gonna is, he's not gonna end the season with a 356 wrc plus i can yeah i can uh, assure obviously. you obviously yeah and his ex wolf is only 611 so you know he's basically gonna regress to that <laughs> yeah uh, um but yeah, you just love to see it out of Byron, and I hope he can keep it going. You know, Nelly is still packing a huge punch in that lineup as well. The guy's 66 years old, and he's just absolutely and he has, ripping and he the, has the He has the highest hard hit rate in baseball. Yeah, like, it, it's actually, there's a lot of weird things going on in Minnesota, but they're all sick, and, and Kenzo Aeda looks good so far. Like, Minnesota's going to be fine. Did, did you catch the, the at-bat where Nelson Cruz hit a grand slam, slightly foul, was arguing with the umps that he believed it to be fair. They said, no, it's foul, man. And then he just hit another yeah. grand slam the next pitch. I was watching it live. And uh, it was sick. <laughs> Nelson Cruz is sick. He's older than like probably, you know, 25 to 30% of the umps in the league. Like he's just actually an older it, gentleman. It, it legitimately feels like he's still getting better. I, he is still getting better. He Every year he just keeps hitting more home runs for some reason. And it's not like he hits the home runs and then, like, that's it. It's not like he's 40 home runs to 11. Like, he gets on base at such a high clip that he's just still very valuable and he still rocks doubles to the alley. So, good for you. Good for you. You got dad strength and it is working for you at the dish. Um, Another hitter from that division, actually two more hitters from that division that I just want to touch on real quick and then – I'll let you kind of round out whatever hitters you want to touch on. Two young guys, you know, from similar parts of the country out there in the Midwest who are just warming my heartstrings this spring. That's Yerman Mercedes oh, of the man. White Sox, the legend himself, and Akil Badu, a guy who's had actually like one of the craziest starts to his career in terms of game-by-game outcome over the first five or so games of this season, and that's Akil Badu. Are there either of these guys that you feel strongly about, Sam? I mean, I think they're they're both really fascinating. I think Mercedes has been absurd. Of course, he started his career with an eight for eight stretch, hit a four hundred eighty foot bomb the other day, and he's like he's a small. He's not small, but he's a stout he's guy. Not like, small. Like he's probably like what, like five ten, like. He's not yeah, a guy, yeah, yeah. He's not a guy that you imagine hitting 480. He's built like Willens Ostadio, to be yeah. honest. 
But yeah, like Williams Astadio, a guy who's not really hitting 480 foot bombs. I mean, doesn't hasn't looks like he doesn't strike out. Rips the ball when he gets his bat on it. I mean, again, anyone can get hot over eight games, but what a way to start a career. Yeah, and Sam, like, if you look at his minor league numbers, he's not a prolific power hitter, but, like, it seems like the average and on-base skills are, are are pretty real. Like, he's been a pretty good hitter, um, and he's bounced around, and he hasn't played that many games above uh, rookie or A-ball, but interesting story so far and super fun to see. I just love telling people that Yerman Mercedes is the best player in baseball because he's hitting 500 right now with a 270 WRC+. Plus. The other guy on the flip side there in the Motor City, for those of you unfamiliar currently with Akil Badu, he is a young outfielder for the Detroit Tigers, 22 years, seven months of age. And he started this season with like a walk-off homer. We hit a home run in his first at-bat. Yeah, sorry. Home run first at-bat, walk-off hit. It wasn't a homer in the following game. Uh, like a three-hit performance in his third game or something. And he has just continued to rake. He's got a 254 WRC plus to himself. And he has and a, again, a 632 is, ISO. Yeah, like this is insane. Like what we're talking about is insane. But just like good for a young guy who honestly, like, yeah, he raked in rookie and A-ball. But before he made the 2021 roster, he had never taken an A-B above A-ball. And he didn't play in the 2020 season because he was a minor leaguer. This is the guy, full year layoff, never played a game above A ball, comes up to the majors and is just tearing it up. Like Detroit literally physically cannot keep him out of the lineup. He's just absolutely destroying the ball. You love to see that stuff. And I'll know it's 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 got nothing to do with luck. He's he's second in the league and expected WOBA at 573. Uh Yerman Mercedes also getting a you know slightly lucky with a 568 w oba compared to a 489 expected w oba but still you know that's 14th in the league both of these guys are legitimately ripping the ball it's not you know that they're blooping signal singles well sam if he's second in the league he has to be second to byron buxton 611 that we mentioned previously Maybe it's on baseball savant Buxton's at 558. I'm not sure how fast. I'm not sure what what at the relative uh, times that these sites. Ah, uh, interesting. Fangraphs has them at 611 XWBA. But uh, either way, just good good stuff all around. And to further that, we know Babbitt means nothing in these amount of games, but his Babbitt's 308. So like, it's not like he's just absolutely getting lucky on everything in play. So, wow. You love to see young storylines like this. You love to see Otani doing it on both sides of the mound. You love to see new aces break out, young hitters break out. Did I miss anything? Is there anything you wanted to kind of anything you wanted to highlight that's been super exciting so far? Well, I mean, you know, while we're on the topic of expected WOBA, let's let's do a little leaderboard quiz. Oh, you want to do a little leaderboard quiz? Okay. I, I already gave you number two. Can you, okay. can you name, let's say, you know, five, you know, let's say if you see if you can name 10 of the top 15 guys. Okay. So is Yerman in the top 15? Yeah, I guess I gave, gave him, yeah, Mercedes is 14. So you've and got we know, two. And we know Byron is. Buxton's five. So that's three. 
Yeah, Trout's probably up there. Trout's four, so that's four. Um, and the question, uh, Asdrubal Cabrera. Asdrubal Cabrera, I'm not seeing him at the top. Okay, we were talking about him earlier. So he's I, 70. Uh, I, he's 70, that's not good. Um, Otani? Otani is not top 15. Okay. He's 27. Uh, 27. What about... Uh, You're missing the number one guy who we were just talking about. Acuna? Well, Acuna is top 15, but uh, Acuna's 16, actually. Oh, oh really? Soto's got to be top 15. Soto's 10, so that's five. Yeah. Number one guy we were just talking about. That's interesting. Akil Badu? Akil Badu's two. No, he's two. He's two. That's why we started this. I already said Yerman. We said Byron. His teammate. Oh, Nelson Cruz. Yeah. Obviously. Cruz obviously. Oh, Eric Hosmer's got to be on there. He's been on a tear. Hosmer is not. Oh, interesting. Hosmer's 86. He's, he's gotten a little 86. lucky. Six. He's gotten lucky with that tear. All right. All right. Let's just uh, let's just think this out logically here. JD Martinez is an obvious. Answer. Yeah, he's 15. So you got Austin uh, Meadows has been a force. Meadows is a little lower. Okay, um, Tyler Naquin and Nick Castellanos both have a space on that board. They are both there. Okay. Uh, Castellanos is 12 and Tyler Naquin's 7. That, that's got you almost there, I think. Maybe that even yeah, makes you a 10. Pretty close. I mean, Nate Lowe, Jordan Alvarez. Uh, let, me tell you the, that, let me tell you then the guys that you're missing. I don't think you're going to get them. Okay, wait. But, is, is one, is one uh, Marmalejos? No. Okay, okay. Just check. The ones you are missing at number three, the great Dominic Smith. The great Dominic Smith. I should one, know. One of the one of the more unlucky uh, unlucky hitters in baseball this year. Five sixty seven expected WOBA. Three fifty eight WOBA. Will Smith at number six. We both said we thought he was going to be the best hitting catcher in baseball this year. That is bearing out. And every single person except for Dave Roberts knows it. Dave Roberts continues to play him like three days a week. It's absolutely mind-boggling. Michael Brantley is number eight, uh, 542. Wow, I don't know what, what the Blue Jays would look like if they had managed to keep get him. I don't know what the Astros would look like if they had lost him. Bryce Harper, number nine. That was a bit surprising to me. He's at 538. I, I, He's been playing really well. Yeah, no, I he's definitely been playing well. I I just didn't realize it was it was top 10, 15 level, you know. I also mm-hmm. think maybe he was, you know, I've watched a, a lot of his at bats against the Mets and maybe he's 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 done more of his damage in the Brave series. Um Michael A Taylor at number 11. <laughs> I could have guessed that. If we cuz I was only thinking of obscure guys like that. Like I would I think I would have gotten to Michael A. Uh, he's just been like he always does this though. He always has like 10 games where like, wait a second, what? This guy's six foot one, 130 pounds, and he just rips bombs to center field. Of all the ones on the list, that is the one I expect to continue the least. Um, <laughs> Rafael Devers 13. Yeah, okay. And it you know, Devers is a guy who maybe didn't quite look like himself for a lot of the 2020 season, but if he can get back to where he was. Uh, that would be wonderful for the Red Sox to continue this run. Oh, yeah. Final question. 
we talked about top 15 expected WOBA. Who has been the unluckiest hitter in baseball this year in terms of what in terms of XWOBA minus WOBA? Jeff McNeil. That is correct. At, at, <laughs> at minus 0.226. And Dom is actually I knew that was coming. And Dom is actually third at a minus 0.209. Uh some other unlucky guys, Matt Carpenter, uh, minus 210. He's a 415 expected WOBA, 205 actual WOBA. Bryce Harper, 10th unluckiest hitter, which maybe relates to why I was surprised. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Tommy Pham has been quite unlucky for the Padres. 370 expected WOBA, 208 actual WOBA. Uh, while we're at it, let's look at some of the luckiest hitters. Um, if I can get this page to update luckiest hitter in baseball oh, well, right now, th- this is a bit, uh, funny because I don't understand this. It's saying that some of these guys have a zero expected WOBA, which doesn't make sense. Well, one AB. No, but it says like Freddie Freeman has like a zero expected WOBA in 42 plate appearances. Yeah, okay. I don't I don't know what that's all about. Uh yeah, okay. So there seems to be some some bugs in in the early season code over there at baseball savants. So uh hey, you can't you can't fault them for that. They're running a very complex operation over there. We appreciate yeah. everything that they do. Um boy, what a roller coaster of an early season we've got. We want to let you guys know that. We've got this stuff coming for you all season. We'll be running down what's going on in the game. We'll be talking about what we're seeing, what we're feeling, you know, um, what we're watching. So stick with us as the season goes on. Uh, we got a lot more good content coming for you. Sam, is there anything else you want to bring to the light of our listeners before we sign off here? Just, you know, it was a tough early season for the Mets. They, of course, missed the first series with the Nats because of COVID had a couple games rained out, blew a couple Jacob deGrom gems. It felt like the sky was caving in. Boy, did they need today. Swept that doubleheader against the Phillies. have actually now pulled into, I believe, first place in the NL East with that sweep because they're now 4-3. and three. The Phillies are 6-5. and five. I believe in terms of winning percentage, 4-7 of seven is better than 6-11. Six and, six and so they're back in the driver's seat. It's exactly what we're expecting this season. The bats haven't even begun to do what they're going to do. It's going to be a World Series season. All right. Well, I love that unbridled optimism. It's exactly how we feel in the desert. So um, even though only one of us can be right uh, vis-a-vis World Series seasons, we'll just have to wait and see who it is, Sam. I think uh, our listeners all kind of feel a little bit uh, warm and fuzzy about the snakes uh, more so than they do about the Mets. I think that's about right. But we will have to see. So... Thank you guys for coming along uh, with us here today. It's been a wonderful week of baseball, and we can't wait to get back to you next week with what we can only assume will be a twice as wonderful week of baseball. So that's going to do it for us here at the Alonso Bet. As always, we've been your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. Have a good night, folks.